standing for a moment as we read the Word of God together. I want to encourage you to grab a Bible. We're going to be in Ruth chapter number three. How many of you are ready to dive into God's Word this morning? All right, that was about 17%. How many of you are ready to dive into God's Word this morning? All right. We've been in a series of messages that we've been calling It's Complicated, and we're talking about relationships, and we're talking about the book of Ruth. How many of you have a relationship that you might say is complicated. Anybody honest enough to admit that today? It's complicated. We're studying verse by verse the book of Ruth, and this is installment number three. And we're gonna be in Ruth chapter three today, and we're gonna cover the entirety of this chapter. I wanna encourage you to keep a Bible ready and open. Most of the verses will be on the screen as well today, but I wanna encourage you to follow along. Ruth chapter three, verse number one, the Bible says this. Then Naomi, Her mother-in-law said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. Now, the story's gonna get real interesting. It's gonna get a little risque, okay? So we're gonna have to lean in for, uh, for a moment today as we discover uh, this romantic relationship that is developing. Ultimately, the story of Ruth is more than just a romantic relationship. The story of Ruth is about redemption. And it points us ahead to our redemption and our redeemer. His name is Jesus Christ. Verse number four. And it shall be when he lies down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet. His feet are going to get cold. And lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. She said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. We're going to pause right there for a minute and uh, have a word of prayer, and we'll study this passage together this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity to come together to worship you, to sing songs of your holiness, to sing songs of your majesty. And God, I pray that today that we would take our focus and our attention off self and our problems and our needs, but that we would focus our attention upon you who promised to meet all of our needs. Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes we'll be able to look to this text, that we will understand the significance in redemptive history, and that we will understand how it applies to our lives today. We love you in Jesus' name, and everybody said, you can find a seat this morning. I've noticed that recently marriage proposals are getting a lot more elaborate. Have you noticed this? Uh, It used to be where if you wanted to get engaged, the guy would take the girl to a nice place, get down on one knee, and ask her uh, to marry him. And uh, now it seems like things are getting a little bit more elaborate, a little more creative. I was reading recently, there is a business based out of Paris, France, that you can hire to put together a engagement package for you, a marriage proposal package uh, for you. The most expensive one on the website as I was perusing this week was $21,000. You can pay for this package, and what it includes is uh, you to be chauffeured around Paris in a Rolls Royce, and you'd be taken to a nice hillside where you would have a picnic lunch where four airplanes would come in the sky and draw a heart together where you could ask the girl to marry you. So uh, if you'd like to do that, only $21,000. 
Uh, but there was another one that really caught my attention on this website, this real business based out of uh, Paris, France. And the headline caught my attention for this uh, uh, package for this marriage proposal. And it said, a hot air balloon surprise, a hot air balloon with surprise visit by an angel. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. And it's only $1,000. So I clicked on it. Uh, what does this mean? A surprise visit by an angel. And this was the actual description on the website. I thought I'd bring it and read it. Would that be okay today? This was the marriage proposal idea. And so it talks about how you'd be taken up in the hot air balloon. And then it says this. Then, as an illusion, a winged angel will appear and will approach your beloved to ask her to randomly choose one of her magical cards. Your sweetheart, stunned, will accept the proposition and will select one of the cards. The angel will then plunge her hand into her vest and bring out a silk scarf where she will delicately blindfold your partner. The winged character will take the card, will get her lips close to uh, your partner's ear, and will begin to whisper the poem written on the card. A poem you can choose in our selection or you can write by yourself. That was the description. I would pay $1,000 to not have to ever experience that in my life. That sounds absolutely awful, right? $1,000, a surprise visit by an angel. And uh, marriage proposals are certainly getting more elaborate. They're getting more creative. And when we come to Ruth chapter number three this morning, what we find is a marriage proposal. Now, it's not quite as elaborate, but it is nonetheless complicated. And we've seen over the last several weeks how Ruth, who is a Moabite widow, has traveled to Bethlehem, and she is now uh, starting to be interested in a man named Boaz. And Boaz was developing uh, feelings for Ruth. And we saw last week how in God's sovereignty that Boaz was providing for Ruth and that uh, Boaz was interested in her and providing for her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And when we come to chapter 3, what we find is a great step and a great act of courage by Ruth. Really, chapter 3 is a narrative about courage. It's, it's about the redemption of Ruth and, and uh, her family. But we see this demonstration of courage uh, in, in, in the relationship with Boaz from Ruth. Now, I believe that so often the reason why relationships struggle today is because fear is holding us back from doing the right thing. Uh, often a husband is afraid to lead his wife spiritually, afraid to lead the home spiritually. Often there is a friendship where uh, they are afraid to speak the truth and afraid to uh, confront the issue. And so often we live in fear and our relationships are crippled by the fear that we possess. I read recently, according to psychologists, that we are born with only two fears. We're born with only two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. And that means that every other fear is a learned fear, which means that every other fear then can be unlearned. And that is the process of faith. Faith is the process of unlearning fear. You say, how do we do that? How can I unlearn fear and walk by faith? Well, the Bible says this in 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Can I tell you today that true love requires courage? And yet today we are crippled and captivated in our culture by fear. You might be afraid today of what's coming in the economy. Uh, you might be afraid at what's happening in the world today. You might be afraid of, of apologizing in a relationship. You might be afraid of what restoration might look like. But so often we are crippled by fear and we are consumed with fear in our culture today. I love reading about uh, the Scottish reformer. His name is John Knox. 
And uh, he was a leader in the Protestant Reformation, and he was a bold character. And uh, John Knox would often go and confront Queen Mary of Scots and, and confront her in her sin. And they had these uh, exchanges back and forth, much like John the Baptist would go and confront uh, Herod in his sin. And John, the, uh, John Knox had this, this courage to stand up and to speak the truth. And this is what he had to say about fear. Everybody with me today? Everybody else with me today? John Knox said this, I have never feared the devil but I tremble every time I enter the pulpit. In other words, when you fear God, you don't need to fear anything else. When you have a holy reverence for the God that created you, every other fear will fall into submission to the name of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today to be an encouragement that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And so that fear that cripples us, that is not from the Lord. That anxiety that's in your heart, that is not from the Lord. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Now, today, as we look to Ruth chapter 3, and we see this example of courage in the midst of relationships, what I'd like to do is I'd like to give us three times in our lives when we need spiritual courage. Would that be okay today? Three times in our lives when we need spiritual courage. If you're taking notes today, number one is this. When you are faced with the pressure of time. Now, we'll see in verse number one in just a moment how Ruth was faced with the pressure of time. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had the NFL draft, and uh, this is one of the uh, highly anticipated days for football fans where the coaches and players and, and the owners, they can uh, get together and plan for hours and hours of who they will select when they are on the clock. And when they're on the clock and they have uh, that 10-minute window, they have to make a selection, and, uh, and uh, they have to be prepared to make that decision. Uh, several years ago, back in 2003, the Minnesota Vikings made a huge mistake because they were on the clock in the first round, and uh, they failed to make a selection in that time frame, and so they had to give up their first round pick. And uh, they were on the clock. Uh, I want you to know today, in a very real and a very spiritual sense, all of us today are on the clock. All of us today have been given time to be stewarded for the glory of God. The Bible says this in James chapter 4, verse number 14. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time. Everybody say a little time. A little time and then vanisheth away. God has given all of us time that must be stewarded for his glory. Did you know that time is our most valuable and precious commodity? Because you cannot earn or make any more of it. We are all given the same amount of time. Are you using the time that God has given you for his glory? Are you using the time that God has given you for eternal things? Are you making the most of the time that God has given you? Now, with that in mind, let's jump into the text today and see how Ruth was faced with the pressure of time. Notice verse number one. Everybody with me? Verse number one. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest, keyword rest, for thee, that it may be well with thee. And so right off the bat, we see that Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth, says, I want you to find rest. The word rest carries the idea and the connotation of marriage. I want you to settle down. I want you to get married. I want you to start a family. Now is the time for you to get married. By the way, Naomi saw this and recognized that marriage is a good thing. Can I tell you today that the institution of marriage is God's idea and it's a good idea? 
Now, it's not God's will for everyone to get married. Uh, The apostle Paul was single. Jesus was single. But we have to remember that the Bible still says in Proverbs that he that finds a good wife finds a good thing. That marriage is God's idea uh, started in the Garden of Eden that the two will become one flesh. And just know today that the culture is going to try every which way to dismantle the definition of marriage, to distort God's design in marriage, and the church of Jesus Christ ought to stand firm on the institution of marriage. And so Naomi saw this as a good thing. You need to find rest, Ruth. You need to get married, Ruth. Now's the time. Notice verse number two. And now, is not Boaz of our kindred, of whose maidens thou wast? And she's talking here about uh, she's talking here about the kinsman redeemer, that Hebrew word go well, that, that legally Boaz had the right, according to Deuteronomy, uh, the levirate marriage to marry Ruth legally. And so she says, uh, behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Everybody say tonight. Now, the fact that Boaz was in the threshing floor meant that harvest season was coming to an end. Now, this posed some problems for Ruth and Boaz because this was Ruth's livelihood. If you remember last week, Ruth was working hard, gleaning in the fields. This was how she was making means. This is how she was getting food to bring back to Naomi. The harvest season coming to an end meant that Ruth was out of a job. It also meant that Ruth and Boaz were not going to be able to see each other as much because the harvest season was coming to an end and Boaz was on the threshing floor. Now, uh, to give you a little bit of context, maybe uh, to kind of help us understand what the threshing floor uh, would have been in this process, uh, the threshing floor would have taken place at the end of harvest season. It would have been up on a hill uh, where the wind would blow at a greater level. And typically this was the process. They would bring the sheaves in. They would set them in this circular uh, uh, threshing floor that was surrounded by rocks. The oxen would come in. They would trample on uh, on the sheaves there. And then what they would do is they would take a winnowing fork and they would uh, throw those sheaves up in the air. The chaff, the lighter part, would be caught in the wind and the grain would fall to the floor and they would collect the grain together. Everybody track with me so far today? We're taking a little lesson in winnowing in the winnowing process, okay? And so they would pick up the grain. After they would collect the grain, then they would have a celebratory meal. They would celebrate the harvest season and all that they had collected. When they were done celebrating, the men would sleep on the threshing floor, and they would sleep in a circular fashion with their feet facing outward. They would do this for two reasons, to protect from any animals that would want to come in and eat the grain and eat the food, and they would also protect anyone that would want to come in and steal the grain. And so what Naomi is saying is, listen, Ruth, tonight, Boaz is sleeping on the threshing floor. Boaz will be there tonight. Harvest season is coming to an end. You've got to make your move. Now is the time to move forward. Everybody tracking so far? Okay, notice verse number four. Verse number three, excuse me. Verse three. Then Naomi gets real practical, and she says, Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. She gets real practical. She says, wait till he's in a good mood. Okay, wait till he's in a good mood, and then make sure that you are washed up, that you have some perfume on, that you have some makeup on. Uh, Make sure that you look presentable, and uh, Naomi's getting real practical, okay? She says, you need to uh, go down to the floor, get ready to speak to Boaz. Now, I believe that there was a great practical element of Naomi's instructions to Ruth, But we also see a spiritual component because there's another time, if you fast forward to the book of 2 Samuel, where David was grieving and mourning the loss of his child. And the Bible says this about David. Then David arose from the earth. This is 2 Samuel 12, verse number 21. Then David arose from the earth, and he washed and anointed himself, and he changed his apparel, and came into the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. And so, in other words, coming from a season of great mourning... 
Now he's going into a season of worshiping. And so what David is doing is he's washing himself, he's anointing himself, he's changing his clothes because he realizes now is the time to stop mourning and to start moving. Can I tell you today, there comes a time in your life when you need to stop mourning and start moving. There comes a time in your life when you need to stop observing the wind and observing the conditions and start following Jesus wherever he may lead you. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it might be risky, it's time to take that next step in your calling. And so we see it was time for David. It was time for Ruth. So, you know, so often spiritually we get stuck in this state of uh, the, the paralysis of analysis. And we refuse to move forward in our relationships. We refuse to move forward in our calling because we are waiting for the perfect conditions. And we are waiting for everything to be just right. And I'm not going to apologize because the last time I tried to apologize, they didn't respond. And I'm not going to share my faith because that might be a little awkward. And I tried, and, and I just yelled at my neighbor the other day, so I probably shouldn't have given an invite to church now. And, and uh, we, we take a step back, and we observe all the reasons why it can't be done. But there comes a time when we, we are faced with the pressure of time that we have to move forward in the calling that God has for us. And so Naomi is telling Ruth, tonight... Tonight, Boaz will be there. Hey, uh, harvest season is coming to an end. We have no time to lose. We've got to move forward. Notice verse number four. And it shall be when he's, he lies down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. I think now would be a good time to uh, explain that narrative is not always normative, okay? Uh, narrative is not always normative. Uh, let me explain it this way. There are certain things in the Bible that are prescriptive and certain things in the Bible that are descriptive, okay? Uh, a prescriptive is when the Bible is prescribing something that you should do. Be holy for I am holy. That's a prescriptive instruction. Then there are things in the Bible that are descriptive. They're not necessarily saying do this. It's just describing a scene. Is everybody understanding and tracking with me? And so we have a descriptive section of scripture. Uh, this advice that Naomi gave to Ruth, we might say, hey, I don't know if this is great advice. Uh, this seems a little bit shady or a little bit sketchy. Uh, go down, uncover his feet, and lie at the end of his bed in the middle of the night. It, it doesn't look right. doesn't look morally upright. And this is what she says to do. And thou shalt go in and uncover his feet. He's going to get cold feet, uh, uh, so that'll wake him up and, and lie down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. Now, uh, we're going to see in a moment that this uncovering of the feet, this was in, in, in relation to a marriage proposal. Now, hang with me. We'll see in a second why culturally this would have been understood as a figure of speech in, in offering marriage. And so nothing uh, sexually immoral uh, would take place. Uh, but this had to do with a marriage proposal. Now, this still would have been risky, this still would have been a little bit uncomfortable. I like how in verse number four, Naomi says, make sure to mark down the place where Boaz, like, can you imagine if you went and uncovered the wrong feet? Uh, whoops, sorry about that. And uh, she says, make sure you get the right one, uh, Ruth. And so she says, go for it. And then in verse number five, and she said, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. So Ruth says, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to listen to your instructions, Naomi. Now, when Ruth was faced with the pressure of time, she responded with courage. She responded by the willingness to move forward. Uh, write down this reference in your notes today, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 16. The Bible says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Can I encourage our church family to make the most of the time that God has given us? Life is too short to live in fear. 
Life is too short to be captivated and, and imprisoned by bitterness. Uh, life is too short to, to never step out in faith and follow God wherever he may lead you. Hey, redeem the time because the days are evil. Now, this has a very specific application for our relationships. Because the Bible says this in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Who's that? Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Who, who is that talking about? Those that don't know Jesus, toward them that are without, those that are without salvation, that have never received the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Uh, the Bible, uh, Paul says to the church at Colossae, walk in wisdom toward the lost people, toward them that are without. Why? Redeeming the time. Please hear me. You don't know how much longer your neighbor has left. You don't know when your coworker will quit or get fired and you'll never see them again. You don't know, God forbid, when a loved one will pass away. And so the Bible says, redeem the time. Make the most of the time that God has given you. Share your faith. Share the gospel. I wonder who it is in your life that God is prompting you to invite to church. That God is prompting you to share the gospel with. Hey, when we talk about splash in the summer coming up in a couple of weeks, this is not just something that is trivial. This is not just something to fill time. We are creating an event because we want to go out to the highways and hedges and bring people in. Why? Because we recognize that the days are short. And that God has called us to go out and to reach people with the good news of the gospel. And so today, when we are faced with the pressure of time... We have to move forward with courage. Now, this leads us to a second thought today. Uh, secondly, uh, this is the second moment when we need to demonstrate spiritual courage, when you are faced with the possibility of rejection. And so when you're faced with the pressure of time, but when you are faced with the possibility of rejection, notice it in verse number six. It says this, and she went down onto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And so uh, Ruth moved forward, and she said, okay, I'm going to do this. And she went and did everything that Naomi said to do. Now imagine the fears that might have gone in Ruth's mind. What if he rejects me? What if I go and uncover his feet? And he says, what are you doing? What if he gets upset with me? What if he embarrasses me? What if other people see? What if this doesn't work? Maybe Boaz is not really into me. Uh, maybe this is, uh, I'm misreading the situation. Uh, she could have had all kinds of fears infiltrate her thinking and this fear of the possibility of rejection. I was reading uh, recently that uh, there was a man from China, this was about uh, 10 years ago, uh, that uh, about six years ago, uh, that wanted to propose to his girlfriend. And so he went and he bought 99 iPhones, brand new iPhones. It cost him $80,000. And he took all these iPhones and he put them in a, in a heart shape and he proposed to his girlfriend. You can see there's pictures online of this. And he proposed all these iPhones uh, around her. And she said, no. <laughs> she said, I don't want to get married to you. And she rejected that marriage proposal. And uh, that would not be a good feeling. How many of you would say that would be a major bummer to have 99 iPhones and no wife? How many of you would say that's a bummer, right? And so uh, he experienced that rejection. The truth is nobody in life likes that feeling of being rejected, uh, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's an idea that you have, whether it's a circle of friends, nobody likes that feeling of rejection. And now Ruth is going to risk this kind of rejection by moving forward in this act of courage to go and to pursue marriage with Boaz. Let's pick it up in verse number seven. 
It says this, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk, now uh, the idea here is not intoxication. The Bible is simply talking about how they would have this uh, celebratory meal after the winnowing process. And so when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn and she came softly. And you have to kind of just put yourself in this situation. And, uh, and uh, if anyone ever says the Bible is boring, they haven't read Ruth chapter three, okay? And so she sneaks in and she uncovers his feet and laid her down. Verse number eight, and it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he says in verse number nine, and he said, who art thou? Uh, imagine the emotion that he said, who art thou? Did he say it like in anger? Like, who are you? Or who goes there? Or, or did he kind of whisper like, who are you? Like, like, like uh, how did he say that? Like, who goes there? And uh, uh, I have three young children. Sometimes at night. Uh, I have this, this parental sixth sense to where I could be laying in bed, my eyes are closed, and I can just sense that someone is looking at me. How many of you parents know what I'm talking about? And uh, the other day, I was just laying in bed, my eyes were closed, and I could just sense there's someone there. I opened my, opened my eyes, and Blakely was just standing right in front of my face, and she said, hi, Dad, are you awake? <laughs> and I said, now I am. Thank you, Blakely. And uh, she was just there. But Boaz had this sense, like someone is there, and he wakes up, and behold, he, he's shocked. He's terrified. He's afraid. There's a woman at his feet, which, by the way, uh, speaks to the integrity of Boaz because uh, he was scared to see a woman at his feet. If Boaz saw a woman at his feet and he was cool, calm, and collected, we might think, Boaz, you've been in this situation before. This is not a good sign, right? Uh, but Boaz was terrified. Whoa, uh, there's a woman uh, at my feet. Now, now, his first inclination probably was that someone was coming to steal the grain. And so he probably was in fight or flight mode, right? And uh, the other day, uh, our alarm went off at three o'clock in the morning and our dog started howling and I thought, this is it. This is the moment that I've trained for. I'm going to defend our home against an intruder. And uh, luckily, it was just a malfunction. I didn't have to defend anything. Uh, but I was ready to do so. I imagine that was Boaz. He was ready to defend uh, the harvest that they had just collected. But then he realizes it's a woman. And he says, who are you? Verse number nine. He says, who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth. Thine handmaid, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Now, again, this does not seem morally upright. <laughs> spread your skirt over thine handmaid. What does this mean? Now, uh, as we'll see, she was using a figure of speech, again, referring to the idea of marriage. J. Vernon McGee said this, When she asked Boaz to spread his skirt over her, and when she called him a near kinsman, she was using a unique figure of speech that was tantamount to the acceptance of a marriage proposal. This phrase is used one other time in the Old Testament. It's, it's with uh, the prophet Ezekiel, and it's describing God's covenant relationship with Israel. The Bible says this in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse number 8, Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee, and I covered thy nakedness. And yet I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. And so this is idiomatic language. This is figurative language, speaking of a marriage proposal. And so when Ruth says, spread your skirt over me, she was saying, hey, protect me, cover me, redeem me, marry me. I want you to be my husband. Okay, so this was a bold move in fear of being rejected. Uh, by the way, uh, Naomi did not give her that instruction. Ruth went a little bit rogue here in this moment. Uh, <laughs> Naomi told her to go and just wait, and he'll tell you what to do. Uh, Ruth went in there, and she says, I need you to marry me, Boaz. And so she says, spread your uh, skirt over me. We need to get married, and let's do this thing. And, and so uh, Ruth kind of went a little bit rogue. What would Boaz say? Verse 10. And he said, blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, 
For thou hast shown me more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, in, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. Apparently, Boaz was an older man. And so Boaz says, uh, you've been so kind to me. You haven't pursued the young people. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor. Uh, essentially, what he was saying is Ruth did not make her selection based on outward appearances or what she could get uh, uh, from it. Uh, she was making it uh, based on spiritual reasons and, and uh, uh, legal reasons, the Levirate marriage. And so he says, you've been kind to me. Verse 11. And now, my daughter, fear not. Everybody say, fear not. Don't be afraid. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. But by the way, uh, Ruth was not interested in a one-night stand. Uh, Ruth was not interested in being sexually immoral. She was a virtuous woman, just like the Bible uh, talks about in Proverbs 31, uh, the virtuous woman. And so Boaz says, everyone knows your character. Everyone knows your reputa reputation. You are a virtuous woman. And to answer your question, yes, I will do all that thou have asked of me. In other words, he accepted. He accepted. Now, remember, Boaz is a type of Christ. Uh, Boaz was the redeemer for Ruth. He points us ahead to Jesus, who is our redeemer. Can I tell you today that you do not have to live in fear of the rejection of man because you are already accepted in the beloved, that you are already chosen and selected by God Almighty. You can stop looking for validation and affirmation online. You can stop looking for affirmation from all of your horizontal relationships. You are already accepted by the one that created you and the one that loves you and is called you with a holy calling. We don't have to live in fear of rejection of man. We are accepted in the beloved. We're chosen by God. And so Boaz says, I will do what you ask for me. Now, wouldn't it be nice if the conversation ended there? They could book a wedding photographer. They could book a venue. They could move forward and they could ride off into the sunset, get married. Everything uh, would be great. They can live happily ever after. But the story doesn't end there. Let's keep reading. Everybody with me? Notice verse 12. And now it is true that I am a near kinsman. Howbeit, however, but there is a kinsman nearer than I. There's another man. It's a love triangle. This is like the Bachelor Bethlehem edition. There's, a, there's another man. And so now Ruth has to say, great, I was so close. And now we have to wait on this. And we have to see what ends up happening. And this leads us to our third thought today. Number three is this. When you are faced with the pain of waiting. There are three times that we need to display spiritual courage. When you are faced with the pressure of time, when you are faced with the potential of rejection, and when you are faced with the pain of waiting. Now, let's pick it up in verse 13. The Bible says this. Tarry this night, Boaz says, wait here, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman part. But if he will not do the part of the kinsman to thee, then I will do the part of the kinsman to thee. As the Lord liveth, lie down until morning. And so wait here until the morning. Wait here for your protection and uh, uh, stay here until it's safe. Verse 14. And she lay at his feet until the morning. I believe emphasizing the fact that nothing happened, nothing immoral happened. She laid at his feet until the morning. And uh, then it says this. And she rose up before one could know another. And she said, let it not be known. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. This was not to cover something up. But the Bible has a principle, let not your good be evil spoken of. You don't want to put your reputation, uh, be uh, put through a uh, uh, trial. Uh, you want to make sure that your character is upright. And so make sure that uh, you don't give some people something to talk about. In verse number 15, and he said, bring the veil 
that thou hast upon thee, and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six uh, measures of barley, and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. Verse 17. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Again, we see the provision of Boaz and the kindness of Boaz. Not only thinking about Ruth, but thinking about her mother-in-law. Bring something back. Don't go back empty-handed. Now, verse 18. Everybody still with me? It was verse 18. Then said she, sit still. And that would have been the most difficult instruction for Ruth to follow. Now you've done all that you can do, Ruth. You proposed. You let them know how you feel. You you took a risk. You demonstrated courage. Now you have to wait. You've done your part. Now you have to just trust. You have to sit still. So often in life, we find ourselves in perpetual frustration because we are unwilling to wait and to sit still. The Bible says this in Psalm 37, verse number seven. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath, Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. We need courage when we are faced with the pain of waiting. For the past 30 years, there's an an ecologist, his name is Gordon Hampton, and he's been compiling a list of what he calls the last great quiet places on earth. And he's trying to discover those places on earth that are the most quiet. And he has narrowed down the list of these places where, where uh, there is at least 15 minutes of uninterrupted quiet. So he's looking for these places at, with at least 15 minutes of uninter- uninterrupted quiet in the United States. And at last count in the United States, there are only 12 places that have at least 15 minutes of uninterrupted quiet. No wonder our soul suffers. Because we have not learned to be still and to listen to the voice of God. We constantly have the noise from culture. We constantly have the noise from the world and from friendships. We constantly have the noise of our own thoughts, our own anxieties, our own insecurities. And all of those noises are drowning out the voice of God. And today we have to recognize that the Bible says, be still and know that I am God, to find a quiet place and to wait patiently on the Lord. We live in a culture that idolizes hustle. Now, I'm not against working hard. Last week we saw and we demonstrated how how Ruth was a hard worker. She was industrious. But can I encourage you, don't turn your work into an idol. It's all about the hustle. It's all about the grind. It's all about working 80 hours a week and making more money and making more achievements and climbing up the ladder to where you don't find time to Sabbath rest, to sit still. Ruth was busy. She was doing everything that she could. She obeyed everything that Naomi said. And now she's at a point where it's out of her control. It's out of her hands. And now she has to sit still and she has to wait. Maybe God has you in a season this morning of waiting. Maybe God is asking you to sit still, to listen to his voice, to lean into his word. I love what Naomi tells Ruth here at the end of this verse. 
She said, sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man, watch this, will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. Ruth, while you are waiting, just know Boaz will be working. Can I tell you again, this points ahead to Christ, our Redeemer. Just know today, while you are waiting, Christ is working. And he will finish the job that he has set out to do. Boaz will finish this thing, Ruth. Just be patient. He's going to carry it out. He will finish the assignment. When Jesus was praying the great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, just hours before he would go to the cross, uh, the Bible says this in John 17, verse number 4. I have glorified thee on earth. This is Jesus praying. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. It is finished. Can I tell you today that you can stop striving in your own strength? You can stop working so hard in your own flesh to get something accomplished because when Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary with outstretched arms, he cried in victory, it is finished. You don't have to work for your salvation. It's finished. You don't have to earn your salvation. It's finished. You don't have to keep a good, uh, 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 a good appearance and try to keep up with the Joneses and try to uh, put out a projection that looks better than you are. It is finished. You can rest in his goodness. You can rest in the fact that God the Father sent his son Jesus to live a perfectly sinless life to go to the cross for you and for me. And he completed the work of salvation. And today, if you've never been saved, if you've never trusted in Jesus, he is our redeemer. He is our savior. He already finished the work of salvation. Many people today think that they have to work for salvation. They have to earn it. They have to be good people. Salvation is by the grace of God. The work has already been completed. And so we leave the narrative here, Ruth waiting. What will happen? What will the other kinsman redeemer say? Will they get married? We have to wait. To wait on God's timing. You know, it's interesting. This whole story takes place on the threshing floor. Everybody still with me this morning? We're almost done. This whole story takes place on, on the threshing floor. And we see great courage on the threshing floor, that winnowing process. But you know, this was the time when the judges ruled. Remember, uh, this was an evil time in human history, the time when the judges ruled. There was another man that was also threshing wheat during this time period. His name was Gideon. When we are introduced to Gideon, what is he doing? He's threshing wheat, but he's not doing it on the threshing floor. Interesting. Interestingly, the Bible says this in Judges chapter 6, verse number 11. There came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak that was in Ophrah and pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon, watch this, threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, you would never thresh wheat in a wine press. You would always thresh wheat where there would be wind because the chaff needs to blow away, the grain needs to fall to the ground. So you would always thresh wheat somewhere in a high location, high elevation. A wine press was always at the bottom of the hill. So why was Gideon threshing wheat in the wine press? Because he was hiding from the Midianites. Because he was living in fear. Today, are you on the threshing floor living in courage, or are you in the wine press living in fear? We see this great act of courage from Ruth to move forward. And this morning, I wanna encourage you 
to minimize fear, to elevate faith, and to move forward in the calling that God has for you. The Bible says this in Proverbs 28, verse number one, the wicked flees when no man pursueth, but the righteous, the righteous are bold as a lion. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.